0: Thank you for having me. Uh, and it's so good to see many of you that I know pretty well. Uh, Mr. Bob, I'll take uh, not very young all day. I'm, I'm great with that. Absolutely. Uh, but it's so good to see so many of you. And I really want to appreciate my thanks for you having me tonight. Uh, we had Brother Kevin a couple months ago at Gardendale. And I think you said something to the effect of that when people live in the north side of Birmingham, we send them your way. And I told him right back, well, When we have people that come into town and they're thinking about moving to south side of birmingham i send them here to oak mountain Uh, we think a lot of this group and we're very thankful that this group is here and the good work y'all do for the kingdom Uh, and we've tried to send some people your way because we knew that they were going to be in good hands if they walked into this building Uh, so we really appreciate the work that y'all do and and we're very thankful for all of you here i heard your thing was proverbs and you're going through some proverbs thoughts and i had a sermon that i did a month ago that i really wanted to preach again So it worked out pretty well that I was going to get to speak of Proverbs tonight, Lord willing. And so what I like to do with you very simply is just go through the Proverbs and make one point out of it. And that one point is God wants us to have some good sense. God wants us, as we would probably say today, to have some common sense. And I think we use that phrase a little bit more today. The New King James uses the word discretion. And so if we read the New King James, we'll see that word discretion used several times. I'm going to put everything up on the screen because I want to move at a speed. Uh, But if you want to go through Proverbs in your Bible, you're more than welcome to join me. But uh, we're going to be pretty screen heavy. God teaches us common sense in this book. Uh, And common sense, I think if you've been around on this earth to know, common sense is not very common, is it? It's sort of misnamed. Common sense is something that you are not born with. It is something that has to be taught and something that has to be grown, and eventually you get to develop enough of it that you get to practice it and navigate your life with it. So it's really misnamed common sense. So we'll use the word good sense a little bit more, but common sense is something that has to be taught. Uh, For my first proverb that I want to show you, and we're going to use this word discretion that he uses in the New King James, does God want us to have common sense or good sense? Is that something important to him? Proverbs 11.22 says, as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. And and there's really some humor here, isn't there, what he's using. Uh, Here in the yellow, I have the NCV, the New Century Version. It's a thought for thought. And I'll throw it up there every once in a while to make things a little faster. We're going to use it like a glorified commentary. But it says, a beautiful woman without good sense is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. Is this important to God that we have good sense? that we're able to navigate in our life, that we're able to know what to say, when we should say it at the right time, that sort of thing. This is very important to God. And so much so that He'll say that, you know, if you're a beautiful person and you have everything going good for you in the world, He says, even if you have all those things, but you lack discretion or common sense or good sense, He's like, you're no better than a pig with a gold ring in his nose. You know, what's the point that God's making here? He's saying, if you lack good sense, you lack everything. And so God spends valuable Bible time to teach us what good sense is. And to show you even more the way we're going to use this format, it would be nice if we could just use the New Century version, which is a thought-by-thought translation, and just use that totally as we go through Proverbs. But I just want to make the point, the reason why we're still going to use, like, the New King James with this is that when you use a thought-for-thought, especially in the Proverbs, it'll give you the main gist. But sometimes it misses important things because it's trying to oversimplify what's being said. And I think that's brought up pretty well in 6.8. He says it guards the path of justice and preserves the way of his saints. But look at what the New Century Version says. He makes sure that justice is done and he protects those that are loyal to him. Well what is the point Solomon's really trying to make? Is it God protects the saints, the sanctified, or is it God protects those that are loyal to him? And I know a lot of times they are going to be one and the same, but I think Solomon wanted to make the point about the saints, the sanctified. And if we use exclusively the New Century version or a thought by thought translation, we're going to miss that sanctified part. So I just wanted to demonstrate there. That's why we're using the yellow, the NCV, and we're going to use the white and the New King James there and to bring kind of a nice little balance. Let me give you two things of common sense as we begin and get into this that I think you'll understand where we're going as we move forward. Here's one that he gives us in 2517. It says, seldom set foot in a neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. NCV says, don't go to your neighbor's house too often. Too much of you will make him hate you. You know, this is in the Bible, right? This is the inspired Word of God. And what does God want us to know? You know, if you spend too much time at your buddy's house, he may hate you. Have you ever been in the situation, or maybe you've done it, where you had someone over to your house and you had some company, maybe somebody you really love, and they just would not go home. And you would slap your legs a lot and go, well? And they still keep on having conversation about what we're going to do next. You know, it gets to be midnight and they start pulling out rook cards. And what are you thinking? I'd like for you to go home. And you begin to resent that friend because they won't go home. Did you know that God tried to teach us that? You know, he spends valuable Bible time, the Bible's only going to be so big, and he spends time just trying to tell his people, hey, you know, don't overstay your welcome at your buddy's house, because he'll grow to hate you. There's another one like this. Look at 2619. He says, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. What about that situation? where someone does something to harm you and hurts your feelings or destroys your property or hurts you in some way. And when you confront them about it, they say, oh, I'm sorry, I was just joking. Was it a joke? No, it wasn't a joke. And God again says, hey, let's not use this phrase, I was only joking, and think we're going to get away with a lot with it. No, it wasn't a joke. Again, common sense things that God spends Bible time to teach us about. You know, I feel like, at least decently, I know the difference between harming somebody and a joke. And I'm able to tell the difference between a joke and doing something wrong. You probably do too. Have you ever thought about why you know the difference between a joke and hurting someone? Why are you able to tell the difference between a joke and just causing harm to somebody? Well, I'll give you three ways you know. And these three ways I think are going to be brought up in this book. One way is you can learn by experience, and we would call it, you learn by the school of hard knocks. And that's just a slow and painful teacher, and you just learn by, okay, I did this and it didn't feel good, so I'm not going to do it again. Okay, I did this and it felt good, so I'll do it again. And that's one way you can learn common sense is by experience. Here's a second way you can learn the difference between a joke or good sense, and this is what we're talking about. You could have had a guardian or a teacher or a parent that taught you the difference. I specifically remember my granddaddy telling me, hey, when you pull a prank and that person you pranked isn't laughing with you, it wasn't funny. It wasn't a joke. And what was he trying to give me? He was trying to give me the wisdom to have some good sense about how to tell the difference between a joke and a humor. I remember my dad used to tell me all the time, he told all three of us this, once is funny, twice is annoying. And he would tell us a lot in the car, right? And what was he trying to teach us? He was trying to teach us some good sense on how to use humor, right? So that's the second way we can learn wisdom in this manner. Now, here's the third way you can learn good sense. And I think the reason why we have this third way is because God knew not all of us were going to be blessed with parents that were going to teach us those things. You know, not all of us were going to be blessed with opportunities to learn that from other people. Here's the third way you can learn good sense. You can read the book of Proverbs. God, again, spends valuable Bible time. I mean, this book is only going to be so big, right? And there's a lot of important things that He's got to cover. But God spends that time, that precious time He has, just trying to teach us some common sense. Hey, it's not funny if they're not laughing. Hey, don't overstay your welcome at your buddy's house. Why would God think, that this would be so important, that He would need to teach us things like this. Have you ever thought about that? You know, why do we have these verses? Why is it so important to God? I think chapter 2 answers that question for us. And we're getting to this, common sense must be taught. It's not something you're born with. Verse 6 of chapter 2 I think gives us the reason why this is so important to God, to teach His people common sense. Verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity in every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil from the man who speaks perverse things." Why does God spend valuable Bible time to teach us good sense? Well, it's these two things I've highlighted here. One, He knows that it's going to guard us, right? If He can teach us common sense, if He can teach us how to behave ourselves, He's protecting His people. Also, the second one in verse 11, discretion will keep you. In the NCV, again, good sense will protect you. Understanding will guard you. Why is He teaching us common sense in this book? because he's trying to keep us alive. That's the reason why he's teaching us these things in this book. You think about the people you have to interact with on a daily basis. You need to be able to interact with your neighbors. You need to be able to interact and speak to your brethren. You need to be able to interact with authority figures in your life, your boss, you know, the person who pulled you over, or a judge, or something like that. You need to know how to be able to talk to those people, or even your elders. You need to know how to interact with your enemies. Because that's going to happen in real life. And as well, you need to know how to interact with God. And how to speak to Him and how to interact with Him in that way. If you handle one of those situations badly, could you end up dead? Yes, you could. You especially look at verse 12. To deliver you from the way of evil. From the man who speaks perverse things. God is teaching us good sense to protect us. He needs us to know how to navigate those situations. And he does so by giving us this book. And that's why it's so important. For the rest of the time I have with you, I'd like to go over five things that Proverbs teaches us about common sense and what good sense does for us. And hopefully these things will be helpful to you, especially as y'all move forward in this book. The first one I want to make is good sense studies its words. And that's something that protects us. 13.3, God says, He who guards his mouth preserves his life but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. NCV, those who are careful about what they say protect their lives, but whoever speaks without thinking will be ruined. He's saying, the reason why I want you to control your mouth is because I'm trying to keep you safe. I'm trying to keep you successful. I'm trying to be able to get you to navigate your life. I have a little brother and a little sister. My little sister's name is Sarah, my little brother's name is Adam. I've told this story twice now. I don't think Adam appreciates it, but I think he tolerates it. When we were very little, me and Sarah and Adam were riding our bicycles to our grandparents' house. They lived in our neighborhood, and we got on our bicycles, we were going to go. My little brother Adam is still in training wheels, and we were riding our bikes down the street down to granddad and granddad's. There were two older boys, they were kids too, but they were a little bit older than us. They were throwing the football in their front yard. And as we just drive by their house, one of these boys <laughs> looks at us and yells, what are you looking at? And me and Sarah keep our mouths shut. Why? Because (laughs) those who are careful about what they say protect their lives. And I didn't want to get in a fight with these boys, so we just looked at each other and we just kept on pedaling. But my little brother, still in training wheels, answers that question, what are you looking at? And all I hear behind me is something ugly. And all me and Sarah get to say is, "Look, Adam, pedal faster." <laughs> and those little boys chased us all the way to Grandmama's house, but Adam was able to get away in time on his training wheels. Again, that's a you know childhood example that if you control your mouth, you'll protect your life. But are there some adults that have that same issue? They just can't help but saying the last word, and you know hopefully they can pedal their little training wheels too out of the problem. But again, you know, God, he's trying to protect his people and that's why he's teaching us these things. 15:1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger and foolishness. You know, sometimes using our inside voice will that save a lot of problems? Will that protect us in a lot of ways if we can just speak in a calm manner? And that can get us out of a lot of issues. 29:11, a fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Are we the type of people that we just get up in the foyer and we just complain and tell everybody about all the things we're thinking and all the things we're feeling. Or do we say, no, there's some impressionable people here and there's people that I can have an influence in, maybe for the wrong. No, I need to hold back and consider some of those things before I just spread them around. 1528, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. The wise man, he studies his options before he says them. Y'all remember the TV show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And I've used this analogy with this verse, I think it works. You know, they would ask you a question, and then they would give you four answers, A, B, C, or D. And you know, it would happen the same thing, the guy, he would think about it, you know, or the girl would think about it, and he'd go, I'm gonna go with B. And then he'd go, all right, is it your final answer? No, oh, it's my final answer, right? When you have conversations with people, whether it be brethren, or enemies, or leadership, whatever it may be, does your brain provide you with an A, B, or C, or D? I don't know if my brain just works different, but that happens to me. I'll be talking to anybody and it's like, my brain will give me options of what to say back. And for Andrew, A is always something sarcastic. You know, B is a direct answer. C is maybe a direct answer with a kind spin on it. And D is just the, I'm gonna ignore you and walk away. And my brain gives me those options. What does a wise man have to do? He has to study those things before he answers. And the wise man studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked just pours forth you know, number A, But hopefully we could say, you know, C, final answer, that's what I want to say. 27, eight: like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. Is it appropriate for me to come and talk to you just about anything? Does some conversations first need to be earned? You know? Is there conversations that need to stay within a relationship and I don't need to butt my head in it? I think we would say yes to all of those things. And I think that's what he's saying here. A bird that wanders from its nest, he's going to end up killed or eaten. And we butt our heads into things that we have no authority to be talking about or we have no business talking about. We can end up in the same situation. Good sense studies its words. Here's another one. Good sense creates good teachers. 12-1, 12-1, this is probably one of my boys' class, my boys in boys' class, this is their favorite proverb and they fight about who gets to read it when we do our Scripture reading portion because they want to say this S-word at the end. And I always like to say, you know, this is not something you should call your sibling. And if your parents say that this is a bad word to say, then you shouldn't say it. But it's okay for God to say it here in 12.1 because He has a good point. And He's not using it flippantly, He's using it for a purpose. says, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. The person who can accept instruction, well, he loves knowledge and he's going to be successful navigating his life. But the person who hates correction, well, he's stupid because he can't make any corrections in his life. As well, 16.21 goes well with this. He says, a wise in heart will be called prudent and sweetness of the lips increases learning. And I think the NCV really got it here. It says in the NCV, the wiser known for their understanding, their pleasant words make them better teachers. Have you been in a situation before where someone had to come up and correct you about something? And maybe you were the wise man that loves correction, but this person just corrected you in the wrong way. You know, maybe they corrected you publicly when it could be handled privately. Maybe they were just really rude and really mean about it, and it really ate you up that they corrected you that way. And you may have called them out on that. You said, you know, hey, you're right, but, but why did you say it like that? Why did you have to approach me like that? Isn't there a better way to handle that? And their response back to you was, but was it true? Was it true what I said? Have you ever been in that situation? I have been in that situation, and I've even been the giver of that. And saying that line, but was it true? I hate the line, but was it true? Because on the other hand, I've had those experiences. But I've also had brethren come and correct me ends with so much compassion and so much kindness that I didn't even know I was being corrected until I got in the car and started driving home, and I was like, they were fussing at me, and I had no idea. The person that can give understanding and give correction in the good way, they're better teachers for it because they've won the heart of their students. The student wants to do what they've said, and it's all because of the way that they've handled themselves with this good sense. 15, 2, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. We all believe that the truth is important. There's no doubt about that. But is there a good and right way of delivering the truth? God says there is. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge, but just doesn't use them for themselves. They use it rightly, they use it righteously. But the mouth of fools, he pours forth knowledge but he just pours it out however he wants to, and that works well with 12.18. Proverbs says, There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Careless words stab like a sword, but wise words bring healing. You can have knowledge. You can have the right answer. But if you swing that knowledge around like a sword, you're going to end up hurting somebody instead of healing somebody. I remember once there was a girl uh, in our group that got robbed. She came home and, you know, if you've been robbed, you know how frustrating and just violated you feel. You know, you come home and all of a sudden you've realized someone has been in here. Someone has gone through my stuff. They've taken what they wanted. They're gone. And she came up to our group of friends and said, I have just been robbed. And she let us know about it. The first guy to respond to her after her saying, I've just been robbed, was to say, well, do you have renter's insurance? And she said, no, I I didn't. And he looked at her and said, should have had renter's insurance. <laughs> you know, is it a bad idea to have renter's insurance? Of course not, not that's a great idea, right? If you're in a house and you want to get renter's get renter's insurance. But was that a good time or a good way to deliver that knowledge? Where's the compassion? You know, where's the empathy? There's none. That's someone who may have good knowledge, but what are they doing? They're running around like a sword. They're not healing anybody. Would there have been a better way to give that knowledge? Yeah, maybe you could have waited a while. Maybe you could have come up to them later and said, hey, I've been in that situation before. I've been afraid of that situation before, and I bought renter's insurance. This is where I got it from. Maybe they could help you too. Wouldn't that have been so much nicer to deliver that knowledge that way? That could have gave healing and not careless words that stab just like a sword. 2511 shows us the opposite of the sword swingers. He says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. The right word spoken at the right time is as beautiful as gold apples in a silver bowl. Have you had brethren that have come to you in the right way and have come to you just at the right time and they have said something to you that has stuck with you for the rest of your life? Was that not a gold apple in a silver bowl? And and brethren that have achieved that, you know, there's just nothing more wonderful than being able to use that good sense for God's kingdom. And they've done that. And how precious it can be if we could just try to use our words in the right way in the right time and put some effort into it. And we could make these long lasting, encouraging thoughts to our brethren. And and what a wonderful thing. Uh, Good sense creates good teachers. 1813, to wrap it up, he says, He who answers a matter before he hears it is a folly and a shame to him. Anyone who answers without listening is foolish and confused. If you're a brother and sister in Christ, there's probably a good opportunity, or you've had the opportunity, that someone came to you and asked you to make a judgment about something and they said, hey, you know, I'm dealing with this issue, this is what something's going on over here, this is what's going on, what do you think I should do? Am I in the right, are they in the wrong? And they start asking you all these questions. If you haven't heard the whole story, what is the best way to answer that person? The best way to answer that person according to Proverbs is say, well, I'd rather wait till I hear the whole story before I make a judgment on that. Because the person that goes ahead and cast judgment on who's wrong and who's right before they've told story what are they they are foolish and confused good sense creates good teachers and what better we would be for the kingdom if god can give his people good sense and bring those good teachers out of them good sense number 3 keeps itself blameless proverbs teaches that chapter 5 talking about adultery he says for The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction, and in greatness of his folly he shall go astray. Just verse 23, he will die because he does not control himself, and he will be held captive by his foolishness. The thought is here, especially in the NCV, he says God sees everything you do. And the man with good sense knows that. You know, he knows that even though he's on one path and he's walking on one path, he knows that even though he's hiding this other path he's been looking at for a while and he's been considering, he knows that God knows that he's looking over there. So I might have everybody fooled that I'm walking down this one path, but God, he knows that my eye over here is considering this other path. And what should that do? Well, that should scare me. That should make me wake up, that there's nothing hidden from his sight, and he knows not only what I'm doing, but what I'm considering. And especially here talking about the the action of adultery. He knows about that, and there's going to be destruction for someone who can't control himself. And God, if he himself, he will be the one to deliver that destruction if he has to be the person. 10.9, it says, he who walks with integrity walks securely but he who perverts his ways will become known. And I really want to hit on this first phrase. He who walks with integrity walks securely. I think he's given us the point here of blamelessness. And if you remember, that's one of the first qualifications for an elder. It's a very key, important qualification. The person who's blameless is one who doesn't just walk in a righteous way or in a good way. He also walks in such a manner that he's safe and secure from those that want to make accusations against him. He considers everything he does to see. okay, but is my integrity going to be questioned if I participate in this thing? What we talked about when I first started preaching. 2013, when I first started preaching, people you know, would find out that, oh, Andrew's preaching at Gardendale now. And so when you're a young man, or near, almost young, or nearly young, right, people decide that, okay, this man's going to be a preacher, I need to give him some advice. And the majority of the advice I received was very bad. (laughs) You know, and now when young preachers come and talk to me about getting started, I go, "Okay, you're going to hear a lot of advice. You need to throw 99% of it away and just do what the good Proverbs tell you to do, right? But there was one bit of advice that was one of these gold apples set in silver that has stuck with me. And an older preacher came to me and he said, Andrew, just one little bit of advice. He said, keep your hands to yourself. Don't touch anybody. Don't look at anybody. And he explained more of what he meant. You have to live, and we live in a world where accusations get thrown around a lot. And I'm not necessarily saying that's good or that's bad. Some of those accusations actually need to be made, right? But that's the world that we live in. Should we conduct ourselves in a way where no one can even say or make an accusation against us? I think that's exactly what we should do. And I'll admit, some of us are from very kissy, touchy families, you know, and, and we give each other big hugs and people even kiss them on the cheek. My mom is a kisser. And every time I go home, my mom wants to kiss me. And I'm not wild about that. But mom is, right? I thought, I, you know, when my wife and my brother-in-law joined our family, I had to, like, warn them and be like, my mom might try to kiss you. And even though we all have different opinions about that, what we do in our families, and it's fine for moms to kiss their babies, you know, even when they are 30, but you have to remember, not everybody feels that same way. Not everybody lives in that world. And it'd be better to just walk in integrity, give people side hugs when they offer them, and that just be about it. And don't have in a situation where someone has an easy accusation because you can't keep your hands to yourself. Because he who walks with integrity walks securely. He's protecting himself. Or herself. 12.13, the wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. The wicked talk and they end up talking themselves into trouble when they weren't in trouble in the first place. But the righteous, no, they always come through trouble. Evil people are trapped by their evil talk. Again, we get ourselves in trouble just by talking and no longer remaining blameless. 14.16, A wise man fears and departs from evil, but a fool rages and is self-confident." Some of us in this building, I imagine, are not very self-confident. And we look at other brethren that are self-confident and we think, man, I wish I was self-confident like they are. I wouldn't have any problems. As a self-confident person, I'd like to explain to you that that's not necessarily a blessing. Sometimes self-confidence, and y'all that are do have a lot of good self-confidence, you may agree with me. Self-confidence can be your worst enemy. And it will tell you everything's okay and you're doing great when really you're just playing a fool out there. Again, when I first started preaching, I would be in the foyer of Gardendale and I just was so proud of my ability to speak and my ability to be a social butterfly that I thought I was just going to have some great conversation with every brother and sister that came through the floor and I was going to talk to them and I was going to have some good story for them. We were going to be best buddies. You know what I ended up doing? I ended up just like making a fool out of myself, trying to come up with something to say, I'd ignore people, i walk away from them, and you know, i get those A, B, C, or D, and I was going for A, sarcastic every time. Finally, one of our elders pulled me aside <laughs> and said, Andrew, all they need is a handshake and a thank you, please. And to this day, you know what I do in the foyer? Thank you, thank you, thank you. And you know what, It even works great because when they even say something else on top of that, you just say, thank you. Thank you again. You just use the same word. When they're angry about something you preached and they're trying to bring up, oh, you know, you did this wrong. You know what you say? You say, thank you. Thank you. you." It doesn't matter. You've got that preset answer that does what? Get rid of that self-confidence. Because, again, self-confidence can sometimes be our worst enemy. But the wise man, he fears and departs from evil. Number four, good sense has empathy. And that's something that's taught in the Proverbs. 14.9 Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. And I think the NCV gets it good again. Fools don't care if they sin, but honest people work at being right. There's going to be people out there that are rebellious, and they don't care a thing about God, and they don't care a bit that they're in sin. And we're going to brand those people as fools, and we should. That's where they are. But there's also people we're going to meet that are loaded down in a lot of sin, but they really don't want to be there. And they really are putting some effort in and trying to be right. Can I have empathy for those people and all the sympathy in the world? Because honest people work at being right. Does God only reward the perfect? If that was the case, we'd all be in trouble because there was only one man that was ever perfect. No, God rewards the workers, people who work at it, the seekers, right, that seek his righteousness, that's who God rewards, and I can have empathy with those people because we've all been in that same place. 1413, even in laughter, the heart may sorrow, and at the end of birth may be grief. Some people who someone who is laughing may be sad inside, and joy may end in sadness. There's sometimes we laugh when we're grieving. There's sometimes we have memories that bring us so much joy, but because of the situations and circumstances of that memory, at the end of that memory we have a lot of grief. Should we be sympathetic to those people that are dealing with that at that moment? Yeah, because we've all been there too. And having some understanding and some empathy. I've even been in a situation once where someone was just so grieved about what had just happened, they started laughing. You know, the human emotions are strange things, and we don't necessarily have control over all of them at that moment. And again, you know, we could have made fun of that person, or we just really needed to have some sympathy and some empathy because that's what common sense would tell us to do. The word in this 25, 1225 has the word depression in it, but I don't think Solomon is talking about a medical diagnosis. When you see depression here, think about general sadness or general anxiety. I think that's what's being discussed here in 1225. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Worry is a heavy load, but a kind word cheers you up. Are you the type of people, and maybe this is our self-confident people again, that you want to fix everything? with your mouth. You know, someone's just very worried about something and has that general sadness and you think, oh man, I'm gonna come in and I'm just gonna say the perfect thing to brighten their day. I'm just gonna say the perfect thing that's gonna make everything right. And some of us try to do that and we fall on our face. What does Solomon tell us to do? He says, all you need is a kind word. And that's all that needs to be said. Does some of y'all have some anxiety about when you go to a funeral and you just wanna say the right thing and you just wanna make it all better? You can't say the right thing and make it all better. What are we there to do? We're there to say, hey, I'm here and I care about you. And and that's the kind word that's all that's needed to help someone with a worry, because worry certainly is a heavy load. 17.9, he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. Making the point of, if you forgive someone, you've just made a friend. And any opportunity to give forgiveness is an opportunity to make a friend, because if you forgive them, they're gonna love you, right? But sharing gossip, that's how you make enemies. And so we can use those two things to navigate our lives and make sure we make more friends than enemies. 21.13, whoever shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. If you shut your ears to the downtrodden and the people who are suffering in this world, guess what? What goes around comes around. And eventually you're going to be crying and you're not going to be heard. 24.16, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, But the wicked shall fall by calamity. This works really well with 14.9 about the honest man works hard at being right. If you sin seven times in a row, fall flat on your face, and every time you get up and you try to make things better, but you just go right back to that sin again, and you've done it seven times, are you still a righteous man? What does God say? God says, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. If you fall flat on your face in sin seven times in a row, but you do make an effort every time to get you up, you are a righteous man. And that's what the proverb says here. I can have sympathy for the man who's fallen seven times. But the wicked, he doesn't even care. He doesn't even care that he's in that situation. To put this in perspective, in Matthew 18, if you remember, Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, how many times should I forgive my brother? And how many times does he suggest? He says, up to seven times? Do you think maybe Peter has been reading 2416 and maybe that's where Peter pulled that number from? Maybe so, and if you read the epistles of Peter, he uses the Proverbs all over and I just thought that was interesting. That's free, you can you can have that one and share it with your friends and claim it's yours, that's fine. Finally, number five, good sense loves his neighbor and that's something that God wants to teach us about common sense. do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. Do not despise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. Why do we live in neighborhoods? You know, like, what's the purpose of that? What's the design? Why do we live in cities? The purpose of living in neighborhoods, or living in cities, or having next-door neighbors, is for the reason here at the end of verse 29 is for safety's sake. That's why we live in groups. And the point he's making here is, hey, when you borrow something from your neighbor and you borrow that tool, be sure to give it to him back when he asks, because the whole purpose of y'all living next to each other is that trust and that safety you have. When you keep something and don't give it back and you make him annoyed, well, you've broken that trust. And don't do evil against him. You know, we're both here for each other. We're both here for safety's sake. 18. 1. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Some of us are not social butterflies, and I think that's okay. Some of us would rather have two or three close friends than a 100 close friends, and I think that's okay too. The point he's making here is, is that when you've gotten to the point that you've isolated yourself from every friend you have, or every brother and sister you have because you're just so tired of being around them and they annoy you and they're always asking for things. When you begin to isolate yourself, that's coming from a selfish place. And that's the point that's being made here. And just to be, and I'm not trying to be insensitive, I'm just trying to be blunt. People and brethren before they get withdrawn from, what do they usually end up doing first? in my experience the first thing they do is isolate themselves and that's coming from a selfish place because what's the point of having friendships It's for safety right it's so that they can protect me and i can protect them 11 12 he who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor but a man of understanding holds his peace are there things that my next door neighbor does that i can let slide and go okay you know i'm going to tolerate this and give them a moment to you know some patience yeah, because I'm trying to find peace here. But you know if I'm devoid of all wisdom, I'm just going to find every angry thing to be angry with my neighbor, and I'm going to abuse that against him. 23, it is honorable for a man to stop striving, since any fool can start a quarrel. 23, foolish people are always fighting, but avoiding quarrels will bring you honor. Fair warning, if you obey the gospel and you become a Christian, there's going to be somebody that's going to make you mad one day. (laughs) There is going to be somebody, and usually a brother or sister, that's going to try to start a fight with you one day about something. Here's a little proverb to remember when that day comes. Any dummy can start a fight, but only an honorable person can prevent one. When you get that angry text message at who knows what hour of the night, you got to tell yourself, any dummy can start a fight, but only an honorable person can end one. You get those text messages, you get those angry letters, you get those angry calls. You know, when I get those angry messages or angry emails, the first thing Andrew does, and not to my credit, is I write them an email and I light them up. And I, and at least in my email, in my mind, I'm gonna tear these people to pieces and they're gonna wish they had never emailed Andrew Smith. But in the better moments, before I sent it, I deleted it, and I told myself the Andrew Smith Standard Version here, any dummy can start a fight, but only an honorable person can sometimes say, you know what, I'm sorry, sorry you feel that way. Apology costs me nothing and buys me everything. And say, I, I hope that things get better. And what did I just do? I s- prevented a fight. You know, You know about churches that break in parts and they don't exist anymore. And of course, some of those reasons are because of doctrinal issues and because of Bible issues. But also, are there a lot of churches that don't meet anymore just because there was someone there that didn't have enough good sense to stop fighting? Uh, there's a lot of churches that don't exist anymore just because they didn't use the good sense to stop fighting. 25:9. Debate your case with your neighbor, and do not disclose the secret to another, lest he hears it and exposes your shame, and your reputation be ruined. If there's going to be an argument that needs to be had and a discussion, it needs to stay within that discussion, if possible. Because if you disclose the secret to another, your reputation yourself is ruined. In 2710, do not forsake your own friend on your father's friend, nor go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Some of us fight with our next door neighbors. And we're maybe even rude and mean to our next-door neighbors. Some of us have fought with our father's friends, or old family friends, you know, for really not necessarily good reasons, but, you know, we were pretty mean and rude to them. And the way we justified that in our mind, and the way that we slept at night, is we said, you know what, I was really mean to this person. But, you know what, Andrew, you have a lot of good friends, and you have a lot of great friends that really love you, and I still treat them really good, so I'm okay. That's all right, and I can justify myself in that moment and sleep okay at night. But what does Solomon say here? He says, but when your house is on fire, who's going to be the best candidate to come rescue you? Is it going to be your best friend that lives across town? Or is it going to be that next-door neighbor you're fighting with about a barking dog? It's your neighbor, Right? Your neighbor and that person that you were rude to is sometimes going to be the only candidate that can come to your rescue, and that's why it's better not to forsake any friend or even your father's friend, because better is a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. Hopefully, in in this whole thing that we've done, and there's my five points, you can understand why we have the Proverbs, is that this common sense stuff is not common, and it has to be taught. And that's why we have this book. God's trying to preserve his people and help us be able to better navigate this life. As a way of invitation, let me give you one more proverb. And the lesson is yours. Before I spill it, think about Solomon for just a moment. And I know that Solomon didn't write all the proverbs. He just wrote the majority of them. Solomon was given everything he could have ever wanted and he was given all wisdom that God would be willing to give him then. And, and you know, Jesus even makes this point that really the only person more wise than Solomon was himself. And that's a big deal. Solomon lived in a world where there was no issue that he couldn't pay his way out of. There was no issue that he couldn't argue his way out of. There was no problem that he couldn't correct on this earth. Put that in a box and hold it over here. Open a new box and let me ask this question. How many times in the Old Testament do they talk about the next life? Have y'all ever noticed that? If you're going to open up the Old Testament and try to do a study on what happens when we die, you're going to end up with a lot of empty holes. If you're going to have a study about what happens when we die, you're going to have to go to the New Testament because that's where the bulk of that's taught. In the Old Testament, there's not really anything at all that talks about what happens when we die, except for by one writer, Solomon. Ecclesiastes 12, he gives you a thought about what happens before you die, doesn't it? You know, fear God and keep His commandments, for we will all have to stand before the judgment. Also in Proverbs, when you read through, there are several moments when he talks about eternal destruction, and he talks about there being a life after death, and he's talking about the things that are going to happen, To put both of those boxes in the same box now. Why did the Holy Spirit talk to Solomon so much about the next life? Why did the Holy Spirit choose Solomon to be the one to talk and warn people about the judgment? Was it not because the Holy Spirit was trying to tell Solomon, Solomon, there's going to come a day where you won't be able to pay your way out of it. You won't be able to argue your way out of it. And there's nothing clever in your little book that's going to get you out of this problem. And what's going to be that day? That's going to be the day he has to stand before the Lord Almighty. So Solomon is the one in the Old Testament who provides us the most information about that warning. Good sense believes in a hereafter. 23.17 says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter. And your hope will not be cut off common sense tells us that there's life after death and common sense tells me i better be prepared for what happens after death and thankfully that preparation is all found in jesus christ so does common sense tell me to obey the gospel does good sense tell me that i need to make sure i'm right with the lord yeah if you make things right tonight We're not going to look down and think, oh, man, this is someone that doesn't know what's going on. We're going to think, wow, this is someone that has a lot of good sense. If there's anyone that wants the assistance of this group, I know this group is more than well-equipped to help you with any spiritual need. Why don't you come forward as we stand and as we sing?